My name is Maya Deary. This episode is part of a series called The Waves to Wisdom Interviews. The project is a simple one. I seek out people I admire, surfers with what look to me to be ocean-centered wisdom practices. I ask them if they'd be willing to share a surf session or two, and then, after we've ridden some waves together, talk to me about their oceanic habits, about surfing, work, meaning, anything that comes up. Christians tend to isolate their spirituality from everything else. It happens on Sundays or in the early morning or some such. And surfing, being in the ocean specifically, is like experiencing God everywhere, all over, not just in my brain. Joanna Fry is a visual artist and surfer who a few years ago decided to make a bold move. One of my favorite authors, Annie Dillard, once wrote, how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. What we do at this hour and that one is what we're doing. Joanna wasn't entirely happy with the shape of her hours. So she left her day job to try to earn a living by selling her paintings and found object assemblages. She's a devout Christian who loves to paint the female nude. And now she's a dear friend from whom I've learned a great deal. Maybe most important for me, I've gotten a long needed understanding of how much my fear has gotten in the way of connecting with others who don't think like I do. Joanna played a crucial role in my own gradual halting process of overcoming a nearly lifelong fear of Christians. Now this fear was a product of the rhetoric of the religious right, combined with the fact that my own life turned out to be not so heterosexual. If our interview gives you just a sliver of all I've learned from this courageous, talented, and creative woman, you'll leave with an abundant gift. Welcome to Waves to Wisdom. If you are comfortable with it, tell us your name, age, and how long you've been surfing. Okay, um, I'm Joanna Fry, I'm 37. I'm not quite sure of the next answer. Probably 12 years, 10 years, 12 years. Okay, so you were you were grown up when you learned how I was to surf. A grown up. Tell tell that story. How did you how did you decide you needed to learn that? I moved to California and had lived there for a year and was watching people surf and thought it was really cool. And was sitting there and just thought, why aren't you doing it if you think it's so cool? And um, I had friends that were in the surf industry working for Surfline, um, and so they kind of, I went on a trip to Mexico to camp and they threw me on a longboard and pushed me into waves and that was that. Did you love it from the very first time? From the very first time. Did you catch a wave that first day? I did. I don't know if I stood up. I don't really have a memory except for being freezing. Um, I, you know, I had no wetsuit. I was in a bathing suit in near Ensenada freezing. Um, I got hit in the head with a board. I remember that. Okay, and then you came back to California. Mm-hmm. And what, what happened next in your surfer story? Next, I spent, I had $155 in my bank account, and I spent $150 on a 6-6 little thruster because I didn't know better. And that's how it all began. Wow. Okay, and how long did it take you to surf that thruster? Woo. Um, that was a humbling experience. But, you know, I didn't know that. I just thought... You know, I would stand beside it. I couldn't sit on it. I would fall off. So I'd stand beside it in the waves, wait for a wave to come, turn around, get on, and paddle. Um, but I had a cohort, Marie, 
And so, and we were obsessed. And so we just went every day. I bought uh, an 80s neon orange and black wetsuit from the thrift store that said, I don't even remember what, something across my rear, just ridiculous. And um, had holes all in it. But we went every day. And then I eventually was standing. And I couldn't think of anything better. Oh. And where were you living in California at that time? Um, San Clemente. Okay. And you are from North Carolina. Yes. Tell a little bit about that. Where are you from and how did you get to California? I'm from Kernersville, K Vegas. Um, Kernersville, North Carolina. It's a small, sweet little town. Grew up classically with lovely parents and a sister and, you know, tended the garden and went to sports practices and um, originally went to school at East Carolina and then after that did AmeriCorps, so I made my way to Texas and then Colorado and then eventually California. And had there been anything prior to surfing that was similar? No. No. Uh, no. Surfing was unprecedented for yes. you. Okay. Mm -hmm. It felt different. Um. Yeah, it, it was. It's the only thing that I've ever had that I actively wanted to do all the time and checked in on to see if I could constantly. Okay. You have any idea why that is? Because it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> you concur in, in that assessment. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and I want to say that right now uh, we are sitting on this long couch with a long boxer in between us <laughs> named Rosie. Uh, who's very comfortable, and she is in your beautiful living room in this old farmhouse in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And this, you are the first interviewee who I know already. Right. We are we are friends now for how long have we been friends? Three over three years. I can't just believe over three years. that there was a time before I knew you. Me but either. Yeah. Seems okay. Like we've just always been. <laughs> yes, it seems that way to me too. Um, so. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how we met. What is your memory of how we met? I met you, um, I was working for WB Surf Camp, and you were working for Guilford College, and I was an instructor for the kids you brought down, um, I guess that was August or something, and you were the most exuberant person I'd ever met. <laughs> um... But really what I remember is that, I mean, I was teaching a group of kids. I remember one of them being more challenging than some others, but not really much more than that about that. And then um, you came up to me afterwards and said something along the lines of, in the parking lot, you are meant to do this. You're so, I forget what you said, but you were so uh, appreciative of me and automatically complimentary and I was just, oh, okay, yeah. And I just remember going home feeling like a, a champ, you know? <laughs> you were a champ. And I remember that individual who was particularly challenging yeah. and I think challenged in that moment. Right, I think right, she was right. far outside sure. of her, anything yeah. close to a comfort zone. Uh, and you were so patient and kind and reassuring. And I think she stayed in that water much longer than she would have in the company of any other human being I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even really remember any of that. But um, but then I didn't see you again for, what, I don't know, a year, two years, a year after that. Um, and I spotted you 
Mind you, I hide from people for whatever reason, generally, but I spotted you at the farmer's market where I was working and yelled out, Maya? <laughs> so out of character for me. And so pleasant for me. Yeah, and there you were, and then, and then we were friends. I have a, a very intense memory of that day at the farmer's market where you were working, and we'll get to your work in a minute, but uh, you were working and I was in the, just in the absolute nadir of dealing with a recently broken heart. And it was so encouraging to have somebody excited to see me who I hadn't seen and to ask to surf. It was so fun and healing just in that very moment, even if we had never surfed together. It was so good. So I'm, I am forever grateful that you called out that day. Okay, so, so we went surfing that day and we instantly bonded over a million surf movies and oh, books. Yeah, that's right. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you, you'd actually gotten out of the water and then came back yeah, out. To tell you about, about 180, <laughs> 180 South. <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. 180 South is a documentary by Chris Malloy that starts out as a pretty standard adventure story. A young white American man named Jeff Johnson is inspired by a trip undertaken by a couple of his heroes. The two heroes, the late Doug Tompkins, who founded the North Face, and Yvonne Chouinard, who founded Patagonia, are celebrated in the context of this film alongside Chris Tompkins for their work on behalf of conservation. The Tompkins in particular used their own significant financial resources to establish Conservación Patagónica. It's the largest conservation area in Chile and Argentina, and it's protected over two million acres of mountains, valleys, and coastlines in the Patagonia region. Now, neither Joanna nor I are accomplishing anything on this scale, but still, her choices and the opportunity to talk to her about them for all these years have served as an inspiration to me as I undertook my own epic journey away from a regular paycheck associated with higher education and moved towards what I knew was my right livelihood. Okay, so we've been surfing together regularly, and in some ways, you have been a primary inspiration for me over the last couple of years uh, in, in some unprecedented ways because I've been contemplating making a big change in my life mm -hmm. and watching you and the way that you have courageously pursued your right livelihood in this moment I think has, has really allowed me to get my head and heart and eyeballs wrapped around an alternative to what I've been doing for the last 17 years, which is teaching at a small college, mm -hmm. which has been wonderful. Um, and it was probably time for a change. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in the world? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I'm an artist. Feels really good to say that. Um, I paint. I love to paint. I do other things as well because paying bills is important, but mostly I love to paint and um, do prints and block prints and things like that. And I go to farmer's markets or art festivals and I do wholesaling and all whatever I can do at this point um, to kind of support the lifestyle that I love and get to work at home with my dogs and sit on the porch and surf when I want and work in a way that um, makes me not wait for the weekend and feel like my day is real every day. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what day it is. I just know that it's the day I wake up and I make art and I surf and somehow I, you know, there's enough cereal and, you know, <laughs> there's usually salad. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fantastic. Okay. And, and how long has it been since you quit your day job to become a full-time artist? I feel like this is year three. Maybe I'm going into year four of actually, no, I think three of being, um, just an artist, solely an artist. Um, yeah. Wow. It's working. Did you? It's working. Yeah. <laughs> you seem fairly well fed. I'm well fed. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, did you? Were you always an artist as a child? <clears throat> oh yes. I mean, Bob Ross was my best best friend. Um, <laughs> oh, every Saturday at eleven, I could not wait. Um, yeah. I mean, I was always. I remember sitting out on the picnic table in the yard with Q-tips and those little watercolor things and making. You know, my mom was a French teacher, and so there was. And she's. Um, She's artistic in her own way, and she's very interested in culture and arts. And so we, in class, she was also my French teacher because I went to a small private school where she taught for a moment. And um, that we would do the impressionist painters. And so we would sit outside at home also and just make these little impressionist paintings and drawings. And and I loved it. And I think I, I mean I would draw in the sandbox instead of build things, you know. Um, and. You studied art in school? I did. I got my BFA in painting and drawing at East Carolina University. How was that, being an art student? It was great. Um, the instructors were incredible. The facility itself, the studios they provided us with, um, our personal space, but also working with other students all together, music, fun, just, it was great. Um, I didn't really feel like I measured up to what I thought an artist was. Uh, there seemed to be more um, angst and like just trying people wanting to get something out on canvas and I just like the act of painting and I love beauty and so I didn't ever feel like I quite fit in that way but overall I mean it was wonderful I'm so thankful that I chose art by default as my major because I had to pick something you know can you talk a little bit about the process of making art and the way that you think it was different for you from your peers who in turn led you to feel like you might not be a real artist? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think there were sort of two categories of people. People went into graphics or they stayed in the fine arts and I didn't want to do graphic art. Is Rosie snoring going to mess It's perfect. Up? No, okay. Rosie's snoring is perfect. <laughs> okay. What could be better? Okay. Um, but I didn't feel like things were falling out on canvas, and it wasn't. I wasn't edgy, and it wasn't, you know. I liked classic figure painting, and I liked light and line and the physical act of painting and specific intersections of line. You know, it was a different thing. So there was a moment, though, the painting hanging behind your head right there is the first painting that kind of fell out of me ever, and um, it's probably the reason I still own it. And that was a moment where I felt like my art, my spiritual life, it, it all intersected and came out physically. And so maybe I got a glimpse of what they were doing all the time, or maybe they were just making it up all the time. I don't know. But... Um, it took me a while to get there, but a lot of the times I'm not there, but I still enjoy painting. And then sometimes I am and it falls out. I don't think there's anything wrong with either way, but I did used to think there was something wrong when it was more 
um, technical, technical's not a good word because it sounds dr like drudgery. But I love, I love that aspect of it. I like the technical part of it. So, you know, it's just two different ways for it to come out. This is one of the profound lessons that, that my students, my successful students have to learn, mm -hmm. is that if your work in the world is to be an artist, your work is to make art whether you're inspired to make art or not. Right. In the same way that a banker does not have to be inspired. <laughs> uh, we need the banker to be a good banker. Right. And you have to show up. And, and hopefully the banker yeah. is inspired at times. Yeah. But, but the practice has to unfold right. regardless. And I find that when I'm forcing the unfolding, I eventually am inspired by what fell out. You know, And it's not because... I was inspired and it came out it's because it came out and then it inspired me and I was excited because of it. This insight Joanna offered is in my experience invaluable. It's not always easy and somehow it seems to be getting culturally more difficult to summon the guts to maintain discipline and effort and to justify continuing to expend resources on a creative or design process, especially when the outcome of this sort of process is inherently unknowable. Now this can be true whether you're working on an art project or a redesign of some aspect of your life or even an innovation prompted by a problem at work. But Joanna's right. Continued creative effort does eventually lead the struggling creator to be inspired by something that they come up with or notice. Hopefully just enough fuel to help plow ahead with energy and momentum and faith in that unknowable outcome. Now of course it never hurts to have some guidance along the way. Soon after Joanna began catching waves regularly, she ran into an older fellow named Dennis, who she now refers to as her surf dad. Dennis took her under his wing, showed her some local breaks, and began introducing her to some significant friends. So, you moved back to North Carolina when? Um, almost seven years ago, I think. Seven? Okay. Yeah. And did you actively start making art again before you moved back or after? Um, before. I did have an art show in California near the end. I did a big painting for Dennis of, um, of middles from a photograph that he loved. And What's middles? Middles is the break um, just above lowers, which is a famous surf break in San Clemente. It's on the world tour. It's a beautiful, oh, it's a beautiful break. Um, so I'd done this painting for him and then I kind of, you know, it got me going a little bit. And so I did some pieces and had a small show and a hair salon there um, but I'd also his best friend's wife um, was making these shell bottle things that I do now and so I worked with her some just for extra money but I've always loved bottles and antique bottles and such and the ocean and he thought we would be a good pair and we were um, so I worked with her for a couple of years learned how to use a soldering iron and um, just kind of, I really love making those. It's fun because they don't represent anything about me. It's two beautiful things coming together. They don't make me nervous. I'm not scared to show them to people. I enjoy that kind of art <laughs> or craft. Um, so that kind of got it going. And that was kind of, thank God, because that was sort of my segue into the art world because it's the way I make money, most of my money here. Now, now it might be half and half with paintings, but um, it was the way I got to shift over. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm very curious in part for selfish reasons because I'm in the middle of my own shift. Was that scary to decide I'm just going to be an artist? I'm going to find a way to make this work? 
Kind of, yes. But I think that every move I've made, I haven't known what I was going to do. I moved to Denver without a job. I moved, I mean, I, just, I don't, um, but I do a lot of praying about stuff. And then when I feel, I mean, in a real way, and I know what peace is. And when I feel that, I just go and it's fine. Um, but it was scary. I mean, yeah, of course there was, there were some elements of it where I just thought, well, but I still feel like that. I still have no idea what happens next. And I still go, well, I'll probably eat, you know, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's truly, it's, it is amazing to me to watch you do that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite something. I'm sure it's terrifying to my family. But. <laughs> <laughs> Not only are you eating, but uh, the dogs, the two yeah. dogs that are taking up uh, the, the better part of your heart, I think yeah. most of the time also. Mm-hmm. Remarkable. That's so funny that you say that. I. Yep, they eat, and I eat, I go back and read my journal sometimes, and I did this morning um, from, maybe it was February, and I had literally written down, I'm so grateful that Rosie and Ruby have food today, Aww. because, you know, sometimes it's dicey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they did. So, you've mentioned your faith and praying a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I have several questions about that, but I want to start selfishly again which is to say that you are one of the people and one of the and being with you is is one of the set of experiences that have allowed me to I think for the most part overcome what had been a lifelong fear Mm -hmm. prejudice against fear of people who identify as Christian Mm -hmm. And I think I I came by this very honestly. My mother was raised Catholic and then uh, became active in the women's movement a little later than many of her peers, but in the 70s. And and she was pissed off about Catholicism and a lot of the lessons. I can imagine. Yes. And, uh, And... in retrospect, she raised us quite Catholic. It was secular Catholic, but the worldview and, and the way that we look at good works and all of that, right. really very, very similar, analogous even. Uh, but the the, I've, the college where I've taught for the last 17 years is a Quaker college, and, and Quakers can certainly help one, some Quakers at least, uh, who's been somebody who's been raised like me in this sort of classic academic brat, left-leaning, liberal, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding mindset. <laughs> uh, Quakers can help you sort of get rid of that yeah. silly uh, demarcation line between the scary Christians who who judge you and are mad at you for mm-hmm. being deviant in any way, and and people who are safe. Mm-hmm. But really, I think our friendship has gotten me to the point where now when people say something like, I prayed on it, mm-hmm. or I prayed about it, and you know, my faith, fill in the blank, no matter what that faith is, I don't have an automatic tense Right. Got it. Must flee. <laughs> yes. Must flee. I better watch what I'm saying right. and not tell them too much about myself. Mm. And I, I mean, I guess my question is, do you have any response to that? I'm just so grateful that that has been the shift. I mean, I understand why people are afraid of Christians and that, I know you can't see my fingers, but there are air quotes. Like, I, it's just, it's awful. It's awful. And every um, group of people has 
some extreme people that are bad to other people but it seems that Christianity has a huge group of people that are bad to other people and it's it's devastating it's heartbreaking and it it hurts people terribly and I don't want to be a part I'm not I'm not that you know and it's good to have gotten the chance to to kind of talk it out with you it's helped me be able to figure out what I how people of my faith are affecting other people because I've seen your trepidation about it and to be able to relate that to other people that are Christians that I know and say hey hear what you just said here's how it sounds to people it's been a good learning experience for me too and it hasn't um, I just think it's so important that I want to start this part over Okay. Because it's just so, it just kills me. This whole this topic, it just kills me. It breaks my heart about all of the stupid Christians. Ugh. Um. Well, you know, I can imagine, I think, I can imagine how difficult that would be. Uh, you know, to have something that's such a defining part of how you view the world and your role in it and how to move through it in ways that are meaningful and positive you know how difficult it would be to have people use your stories Mm -hmm. you know your way of defining truth to do the opposite of everything that feels fundamental right about that tradition to you right well they're just using my the label of what is true and good in my world and putting it on something else that they're doing. And it's so destructive. So one of the, I think the reason that it's been so powerful to me to be close to you and wrestle with this fear of people who label themselves Christians or talk about Jesus or mm-hmm. talk about praying is that we're both frequently immersed together in this literal higher power mm-hmm. that I don't have any trouble getting my head around, right. being the boss of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and just the, the, the palpable similarity or overlap in the ways that we draw joy mm-hmm. and meaning and and priority and purpose from that interaction mm-hmm. with the water. Um, it's really given me a way to talk about ultimate things with you and even develop the language to ask questions without, you know, without any fear. What is, if any, the relationship between your practice as a Christian and your practice as a surfer? I think for me, um, surfing is an expression. Oh my gosh, I'll get a little bit teary. It makes me, it's so, it's, it's like a gift. Um, it's, so I sit here in the morning and I read my Bible and I journal and I listen to music and I pray and try to listen, try to quiet down enough to listen. And, but when I go to the ocean, I'll go if, if there's something really big. I'll try to go alone and be alone. And usually, hopefully, there are no waves and no one's out <laughs> But um, in those moments. But 
for me, it's just gratitude. It's just like this beautiful thing that he's made. And also, um, in Christianity, you know, God is in everything and all of creation worships him, including the trees, including the ocean, including everything he created. It's his and it worships him and to be a part of it and be immersed in it and to feel it's kind of like mutual worship me and the wave me and the sea me and the the whole thing is this beautiful present of joy from him to all of us and it's more it's that it's not a spiritual practice it's like a a thanksgiving almost wow that is wonderful okay so interesting so in that way that surfing is really different for you than it is for me then because instead of having an i and thou relationship with the ocean it's almost like you have a we and -hmm. thou relationship oh my gosh that is so interesting okay good um so what about your art practice how does that fit into this because these are you know the you are one of the people i know who is disciplined in this regular participation in these activities. I mean, really, almost daily, you're participating in, in each of these activities. Mm-hmm. The, the overlap of th- those is fascinating to me. So what about art and your faith and right. your practice as a surfer? There's so much hard happening in the world. And to find the meaning and purpose in doing art and how is that important and how to... Um, so it's taken me a minute to get there. Um, but I feel like I have. And I feel like I'm created this way. This is who I am. And if I'm meant to be... You know, they always talk about um, the church as a body. Is It's something that's in the Bible a lot about how we're all important. The ear, the fingernail, the brain, the whatever. I'm the artist. And so if I continue on doing these things that aren't the artist, I'm A, not serving my purpose, and B, not being as helpful as I could be. So if I'll just get it together, calm down, and go paint, I can actually serve the purpose that I'm created for. And, um, and I think that anything that feels so, so much an outpouring or an overflow of who I am, anything that feels like it just naturally comes out like painting or surfing should happen because when I'm doing those things and in my spiritual practice consistently, I feel like I can give to people instead of need from them. There's a kind of abundance. Right. There's even extra to, to give right. um, as opposed to a deficit right. or this feeling of scarcity. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I mean, this, this reminds me of... Uh, of what I've heard from a lot of Buddhists who essentially say you, sh- you, should not, you should not worry about generosity until you've figured out what is yours to give. You have to sort of tend to yourself and quiet yourself mm-hmm. and, and, and take some steps along your own spiritual path. Right, because otherwise it's giving out of duty instead of giving out of love. And maybe potentially giving something that's not such a gift after right. all. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, your intentions matter. Okay, fantastic. All right, so can you talk a little bit about painting? I know you love to paint, especially. Uh, and I know something about the various kinds of paintings you make. And we'll put some up with the interview on the blog. Uh, can you talk about the various things you paint and how you feel about them? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so all through school, I, was, I did figure painting. My senior show, figure paintings, the whole thing. Um, I did... 
when I started working here as an artist, I did a lot of figure painting. And it was well received sometimes, and sometimes I got dirty looks from women that would hurry their husbands along, or I got lewd comments from men, is that you, sweetheart, you know, just disgusting people. And, um, and I also got asked to take them down at a Curry Beach market, so that was cool. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely shifted. I didn't want to carry them around. I didn't want to be nervous every time someone came up to where I was working. It just wasn't worth it to me. It didn't, it didn't feel worth it. Nobody quit looking at my stuff then. Like, I just didn't want to show anybody. I didn't, it's hard for me already to put my work out there. I don't want anybody to look at me or my things, <laughs> but that's not what artists do. So, um, so that kind of ruined that for a little bit. And so I did a little bit of figure painting still, but I kind of shifted into some um, work painting the ocean which I wasn't really trying to do actually, now that I think about it. I had one hanging in the back of my tent just for background noise, selling bottles. And a shop owner, um, Early Moon, where I sell a lot of bottles, a beautiful store, asked me if she could have it in the store. And I said, sure, and it sold that week. Um, so, and that started that. I really enjoy painting the ocean. I really love painting the sky also, a lot. Um, the, the clouds it's just a different thing for me than figure painting is more um, I don't know where that comes from it just I just want to do it. it doesn't make sense in the way I grew up I'm sure my family was a little bit on edge they're very conservative Christian family you know um, but it's just what wants to come out it's what I want to paint it's the beauty of the line and it's, it's always women and they're just beautiful and you know in my belief system, God created women last and finally as the crowning glory of creation, as the beauty. Um, not only the beauty, as you know, but that is, and it's just true. I mean, it's just true when you look around. I think women are stunning. They're curvy and, or not curvy, but they're not angular like men. And, um, and I just love the lines. And so that's what I do. Um, when I paint the sea, It's just a different thing. I enjoy it. Um, I live here. I like to see how people get excited about it when they see it on canvas. As I have watched other people interact with your paintings of this place, and, and I have, uh, you know, I have my own, you would say, spiritual orientation has a lot to do with the way we interact with the more than human world. Mm -hmm. And our relationship with place, including my own, is so, bereft it's it's so we're all so disconnected and I work very hard to roll in the mud and splash in the waves and and I'm an aspiring animist I really want to feel like I am continuous with the planet and all of of life and not life just the whole place so one of the one of the great joys for me of watching people interact with your landscapes and seascapes is to see them get excited about the place or to almost sometimes feel reverent about the place mm -hmm. in a way that art allows them to do mm -hmm. because they don't cultivate this connection in the same way that dirt rollers and wave right. splashers do. Well, and I forget <laughs> that it's not regular to them. Right. Um, and that it's special and maybe they don't live here when they come and see my work maybe they want to take some home and maybe 
it's just a different experience for them. Right. Interesting. So you've got, uh, there's a, a small painting that you made that's hanging in my living room. I am one lucky duck. Uh, <laughs> that is a little bit of an abstract seascape and, and a little bit of a, of a figure painting. Do you, what, what do you, what are your feelings about that? That intersection? Because that's rare for you to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just, in my head, that's a figure painting. Okay. Um, that was the first painting. I had been so scared of money not being abundant that I had been painting so much to try to sell. And then uh, I finally, after many conversations with you, decided, screw this, paint a painting and don't think about it. That was the first painting where I broke out of being a fear-based painter and just painted. Um, and it came out beautifully, honestly, because, I, and I didn't mean to, but I remember just focusing on, instead of letting myself look at the whole painting, looking at each, you know, two square inches that I was working on only. I mean, saying, you know, do you like this? Do you like this? Do you, pers do you like this? And then eventually stepping back and it was done. Um, so it was just a new way to start and I still use that. I'll still, I, I'm working on a big 36 by 48 up there and I still get in tight in those little spaces and make sure I like that little space. I don't care if it's a knee or an elbow or a, a cheek. It, I have to like that space. Um, and that's been an important thing to, to carry through for me. But you love the figures the most. Yeah. This is, the, these are really what are in your heart mm -hmm. to paint. Can you characterize your approach, your technical approach, your expressive approach? Is there a particular art historical tradition that you feel like you're riffing off of? Talk to me about those. Um, mainly, for me, it starts as a drawing with paint. Um, mostly it's about line work and figuring out the proportions, because I usually just make it up on the canvas I just start drawing a lady but so you do not work from photographs or models I do not um, I'm not opposed to it I like model I like live figure painting and drawing it costs money I just tend to work I want to work alone also there are classes here but I just prefer to do it in my studio so I make it up as I go and then but I have, I do look at a lot of Egon Schiele. I love his work. Some of it's too erotic for me, but I think he's a brilliant drawer, brilliant. And so sometimes I look at his, the poses of his figures before I start because they're so angular and so odd. And I like things that are a bit, that are a bit off. Um, and then I, it, I just start to sort of fill in and move things around as, as it happens. But it starts as a drawing. So do you have a vision of what you want it to look like, or does it? Sometimes. Sometimes I do. It never ends up being that, but it always gives me a jumping point. I usually end up needing to mess the canvas up because the big white blank is so scary that I just stand there frozen and do nothing. But if I can get something wrong on there, I can fix it. And then I move on from there. I would love it if you could say something about the character of the paint on the canvas because your work is, is representational, but it's also a little bit expressionistic. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I wouldn't call it chunky, but you're, 
you know, you're a brushy sort of painter. Yes. Part of what I was saying about enjoying the physical act of painting is how the paint feels. So I work hard to get a texture that feels a little bit gloppy and easy to glide around. I like the way it feels coming off of particular brushes. I think I use maybe three brushes out of the 60 I have for the most part. Um, I want the lines to have different weight to them in different areas. And then I want to come around those lines with some glops of paint and mush it around and make a new line. Yeah, the paint matters to me. Is there is there a way in which paint and water are at all analogous in your practices of surfing and painting? Do you ever feel that way as a surfer when you're making, because you're, you're really quite adept, uh, when you're making lines as you draw on the wave with your board and is, is there any overlap or are they just completely different practices? It feels totally different feels to me. Totally it may different. be intrinsically. I mean, How is it different? Because in painting, I'm using my brain so much. My eyes are analyzing and I'm, I'm feeling the paint through the brush, but I'm, I'm watching it mostly and a lot of the time it's me leaving something that happens like recognizing something good instead of painting over it most of it's editing and not it most of it's editing or editing out or leaving in something that has happened that maybe i didn't have anything to do with it just kind of whoops look how that you know it mushed out of the middle of the brush and went over here and thank god that happened and then moving on surfing is just pure glee and it's, the lines happen, well, they also happen by themselves. But they don't, it doesn't feel the same way. Painting is more frenzied, I think, than surfing is. Um, in that moment when I'm really in sort of a flow, I just have to keep going. Sometimes I forget, I'll think of a new color and forget to put it on my brush and just keep painting with the other color by accident, you know, and I have to make myself switch out whereas surfing is just expressive and in more of a release sort of a way. I wonder about this because this is true for me that the difference between making for me it's photography and being in a state of flow when you're making art mm -hmm. or being in a state of flow when you're surfing is that when you're the creative force mm -hmm. you're the the momentum you 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 feel a kind of pressure a kind of responsibility mm -hmm. that you don't feel when you're surfing right you're, you're riding this other momentum right. it's like i'm being painted instead of being the painter okay so the premise behind waves to wisdom is that there are some people in the world who have an ocean-centered practice, and especially surfers, whose regular involvement with the ocean makes them better people, allows them to figure out how they relate to the big picture or what they should do in their life. Does, is that a fair characterization of the role that surfing plays in your life? I think that surfing reminds me how small I am and reminds me that 
I'm not just a, a mind, I'm also a body, and that it's important to connect them. Um, and so for me, it's less that surfing in particular shows me who I am or how I relate, but that it, it just keeps me in balance, it keeps me in check. It reminds me of the truth of that, what you were saying about your life, that you, I am a part of all of it and that and that's the waves and me both worshiping I, it we are all doing that we are a we and um it's good to not isolate christians tend to isolate their spirituality from everything else it happens on sundays or in the early morning or some such and surfing being in the ocean specifically is like experiencing god everywhere all over not just in my brain the necessity of attention in surfing mm. does not allow you to get too far into your head. Right. You have to be present. You have to be present. Mm -hmm. it, it's, for me, it's a practice that allows me to connect in ways with other humans, with a more than human world. It's a practice that's not rivaled by anything else that I've ever tried. And, and there are plenty of things that I also love to do. I love hiking in the mountains. I love swimming in streams and, uh, you know, like paddling boats and, and plenty of other activities that make me feel close to what is big and large and, uh, and powerful, but nothing like surfing, where it feels like it's part art, part spiritual practice, all fun. I've never had anything bring me so much joy. So much joy. Yeah. So good. And we got to experience some joy this morning, didn't oh, we? How was that? It was so fun. It was so fun. Tiny, lovely little longboard waves, sunshine, water's warming up, all of it. It was the beginning of summer. Okay, is there anything that you would like to say that we haven't talked about? About surfing, art, life? I would like to say that in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, the second verse says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And it's my favorite of all time because he was like the original. He loves the water. He was just hanging out on the water. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate all of this and all of you. And I'm so excited to share your story and your art. Well, thank you. This has been lovely. If you're enjoying these podcasts, first, thanks so much for listening. And second, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you could tell a friend about us and maybe give us a rating on iTunes, it would be really helpful. If you'd like to see Joanna Fry's work, learn about coaching with Maya, Waves to Wisdom retreats, or Conservacion Patagonica, visit wavestowisdom.com.